I'm Susie Walton. I'm Kirsten Jones. And this is the Raising Athletes podcast. We are so excited to interview a best-selling author, Dr. Henry Weisinger, today on his new book, Parenting Book, which you guys are going to find phenomenal, The Unlikely Art of Parental Pressure, a positive approach to pushing your child to be their best self. Thank you for coming on today. And he's given us permission to call you Hank, right? So welcome, Hank. (laughs) Yes, my pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. Okay. Should we get just go for it? Let's go do for it. it. Yes. So um, I want to let you know that I've been running parenting seminars for over 30 years. And back in 2009, I wrote this book, Key to Personal Freedom, How Myths Affect Our Family Lives. And the way I even got into the whole parenting thing is when I was told I should teach parenting classes, I'm like, I don't even like parents. I don't like them. I mean, I like them, but I don't like adults. I like kids more than I like adults, shall I say. <laughs> and this very wise woman said to me, listen, you can work with kids and impact one child at a time. That's great. Or you can work with the parents and impact generations. And it was that moment that I realized, okay, I am going to do this coaching. And I am doing it because of my love for kids. And 30 years later, I'm still teaching for the love of kids. And um, and that's where I've been and that's what I'm doing. And, you know, Hank, when I read your book, I was like, oh, my gosh. This is I, I love your book because you're talking to the parents and you're, we're not trying to, you know, my book is all about, yes, there's ways to change your kids' behaviors and all that good stuff. But more importantly, what are you doing that has an impact on how your kids are behaving? To me, that's as important. So I go down that road and I can see you going down that road. And so I just want you to talk about your research and what led you to write this book and how this all began for you. Uh, Very similar to uh, your line of thinking that I had written a book that came out in 2015 that was called Performing Under Pressure. And it was a book more for the uh, performer, whether they were in business or sports. And then I thought I would do another book for parents on helping their kids handle pressure. And then about two years ago, the Varsity Blues scandal uh, broke. And I started thinking about that, and my thought was, forget about the kids. The real problem, many times, is the parent. So I changed my focus, and I started uh, looking at the literature on parental pressure. And basically, that was about a uh, six-month task. I was just looking at studies, and I found certain similarities Uh, among what I would call pressure parents that literally make it worse for their kids, although they are well-intentioned. I I think that was one of the major findings, that parents love their kids, they are well-intentioned. Very few parents wake up in the morning thinking, how can I drive my kid to therapy today? How can I address to their lives? But we do think that as parents inadvertently, Uh, that we think are going to be good intentions, but it ends up making it worse. For example, the standard parental line of telling whether it's a uh, sporting event, a big game tomorrow, or whether it's a big test, and many parents will walk into their kid's room and say, this is really important, uh, thinking that's going to help the kid. It's going to motivate them. It actually makes them do worse because the more important you make something, the more pressure a person will experience. And in the big revelation, I think I found 
because I am a big sports fan, you know, and I always would love it when the player would come through in the clutch. That is a real misperception. Just like you had myths in, in your books, one of the myths that we have is that people rise to the occasion when there's a lot of pressure. It's just the opposite. The C student is never getting 1600 on their SATs unless they cheat. And the average, whether they are an average basketball player or an average baseball player, is never rising to the occasion. Statistically, they might get, you know, the big hit. People say, oh, yeah, he came through. You know, why doesn't he come through in the fifth inning or the, or the, or the you know, seventh inning? It's just statistics. So we do not do better under pressure. What I found was the edge, and I want parents to remember this, the edge is not rising to the occasion. The edge is not doing worse. If Michael Jordan did his best, Tom Brady does his best, well, they're the best. They're going to win more often than they're not. The only way in sports where a top team loses to a team of a lower seeding is if the top team chokes meaning they do below their capability when they want to do their, their best. Um, and, and that was a big revelation. So I wanted to focus on the parents, as, as you did. What can the parents do? What do the parents bring to the table that actually makes the situation worse? What can they bring to the table that will allow their kids to thrive rather than just feeling that they have to survive. To dovetail on that, I love that point. And I see that a lot in coaching kids where the parents have the expectation that they're going to be the best. And in chapter seven, you go into tame your core expectation, how to pivot from competitive best to personal best. And Susie and I talk about that a lot on this podcast, which is, how do you, what tools do you give to the parent to help them support their child to do their best? Not worrying about so-and-so's going off to play at the top level of Division One. You're not a Division One player, and that's okay. There's plenty of other opportunities for you to succeed in life. Maybe, as you and I were talking about before we jumped on, maybe it's not in competitive volleyball or being a concert pianist. But what we really want to encourage our kids to do is to do their best. Yeah, and that's really important point because part of the problem is the parents' expectations are uh, very uh, unrealistic. You know, if you were to uh, speak into a room where all the parents had, you know, teen athletes, and you said, how many of you think your kids are going to, you know, play on a Division One team or even go to the pros? And you see a lot of parents Everybody's... raise their hand. Well, they're being unrealistic because we know what the chances of that are in, um, you know, reality. So parents have to be very careful. Many parents have their own aspirations and they confound that with the expectations and they put it on their kid. And as a result, the expectations, the pressure is always unhealthy because it's more about the parent. You know, parents get competitive uh, too. I, I remember taking my son when he was uh, maybe eight years old, Saturday soccer. I'm eight years old, they don't play soccer. They're just running up and down the field and so on. And I remember hearing one father saying to his like seven or eight-year-old after the game, he says, you've got to practice your kicking. My first question to my son was, was it fun? Did you have a 
Did you have a good time? So that is the first step for parents to, to get rid of unhealthy pressure is to make sure the expectations that they have are child-centered about their kid within his ability and his capabilities rather than the parent's wishes. Now, I'll tell you a story because it is important when, when a parent focuses on competition, they teach their kid to develop what we call a ranking mindset, which means that they are always comparing themselves to other people. Now, if there's one thing we know in sports, there's always going to be somebody better. Just like I would tell my daughter, there's going to be somebody prettier, there's going to be somebody smarter, and so on. Don't worry about the other person. Just focus on doing your best. Carl Lewis, the great Olympian sprinter, told me that when he was preparing, he never worried, even in a uh, heat, he never worried about beating the guy next to him. All he worried about was doing his best, the factors that he could control. So my son, when he was in um, eighth grade, did a project on tornadoes. He did it all by himself. So he comes up to me and he says, all right, Dad, if you were my teacher, what would you give me on this? And I'm thinking, ah, sweet, because what my daughter would say that, if I said a B, how do I get a B plus? If I said an A minus, how do I get an A? If I said a C, how do I get a C plus? You know, always wanting to do better. I figure he'll do the same. So I study his project and I say, Danny, I'll be very honest with you. If I was your teacher, I'd have to give this a B minus. He pauses for a second and he says, I can live with that. And I don't know why. I, I never anticipated that response. Now, three <laughs> weeks later, he shows me his English paper, gives me the same question. And I know in advance now that no matter what I say, he's going to say, I can live with that. And I'm not going to be dishonest with him, say it's a bad you know, paper if it deserves a decent grade. So instead of telling him the grade I would give him, I just said, well, is it your best? Because if it's not your best, I don't want to see it. Only show it to me when it's your best. And he said to me, well, it's not my best. I said, then don't show it to me. Now, 20 years later, when he asked me to edit something for him and I say it's good enough, his response is, I don't want it to be good enough. I want it to really be good. He has internalized that. So the tool that I would tell parents is put the child's personal best, make it his responsibility. And, and the bind is that I said to him is only you know. I don't know what your best is. Only you know what your best is. And I found that was the important part of the, of, the, um, of the message. So it's important to get kids, because then they develop a mindset of excellence. And all, that's what all great athletes have, a mindset of excellence, where their only focus is, how can I do better, not can I beat the other, can I beat the other person? So I want to add a little bit to that, too. Um, because I'm right with you on this one. And what I add too is like, I, what I tell parents is like, whatever your child did in that moment, in that moment, it was their best. So you want to ask them like on a, in a percentage wise, I, I get that this is what you're handing me and I'm reading it. And you know, in this moment, this was your best that you could, you did. What do you think? 20% your best, 80% your best, like hundred percent the best. Like what, where are you in a percentage? Because I feel like anytime we do anything, we're doing our best for that moment. But then it allows the child to kind of re, like you're saying, re, look at it like, oh, yeah, it was probably like 20% of my best. So are you okay with that? Or do you want to bring up your percentage? It's up to you on how you want to do it. 
but that way I feel like they're not being judged by what does their best look like. And they're, they're going internally and checking it out for themselves. And there's no judgment on either end of the ladder. Right. Cause I, like you, like you said in your book, like you want to have expectations for your kids and you want them yeah. to know the value of doing their best. But let's take it even like that place where they actually now look at it percentage wise. Where are they on the level? And not that it, they, not that they have to get to 100. They might be like the B minus. I'm OK with that. Or I want to do even better. OK, so what do you need to do differently or what do you want to add to this? And sometimes it's a motivator, you know, well, you said, okay, you was 30% your best. I said, well, you can imagine what would happen if you did 50% of your best, but that's up to you. And also, exactly. a big mistake I found that parents make is that they try to take responsibility for the kid's performance because the parent can't tolerate if the kid, and that's what really happened. See, it's very hard, I found, like at least in therapy with, with parents, that it's very hard for many of them to accept. That your kid can do his best, but it's not going to be good enough. Whether it's in academics, yeah, you got uh, fifteen hundred on your SATs, and you have a A average. You know what? You're still not getting into MIT. Not because there's something wrong with you. You could do the work, but there are people who are going to have better applications and yada yada yada. So being on, you want to do your best, but the caveat is your best might not be good enough. I've never seen an athlete. At least a professional athlete feel bad when he or she has done their best. They feel bad. Then they congratulate the other guy. Give him credit. They played. They played great. They only feel bad. I've observed if they if something happened to them. Then they feel they let down other other people. There's no shame coming in second. Many parents one of for loser. You know. Go ahead. Sorry. One of one of my favorite quotes in yeah. the book, if I can read it, is. Kids whose parents have high expectations of worthy personal bests usually do not develop perfectionist personalities or suffer from anxiety or depression. Instead, they pursue excellence through perseverance and effort. And I love that because I actually do a talk on perfectionism and how it's taken over our society and how kids feel so much pressure to perform and, they, and the parents come to you and say, how do I help them? And this is how you help them, right? Absolutely. And also, I mean, that is an important point about perfectionism, which is underrated as a dysfunction. Because you forget about it, it because no matter what you do, it's never going to be good enough. And God forbid you end up being with a person who is a perfectionist. Your life will be miserable. It's like always being on a treadmill. I live by the Malcolm uh, Gladwell expression as uh, it's good enough. Sometimes you do your best. Your best will be good enough most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the, um, of the time. And also, Christian, when you say that, if see what parents do when they make something important, and this is your big chance, they quadruple the stakes because they're making it a do-or-die situation. You know, for early man, all these things work. Competition was a do-or-die situation. You're fighting another guy for some meat, and there's only meat for one person. And it's going to be a fight to the death. You know, ESPN did not make up the expression, a do-or-die situation. That is something that it really was like that. But too many young kids and, and young athletes, they'll get into their school competition, and in their mind, they are thinking it's a do-or-die situation. And what does that die mean? 
I'll be rejected by my parents is what it really comes down to. I'll be embarrassed. You know, this is a big difference with stress and pressure. Many people treat every stressful moment as though it is a pressure moment. So they're on high alert 24 uh, seven, and they're using up a lot of valuable psychological resources. So you have to be able to keep things in perspective and not exaggerate. How many times has a parent said, "This is the big opportunity. The coaches, the coaches here. You're never, you know, they're scouting you. You're never going to get a chance like this again." That would be like a drama teacher saying to a person in a UCLA. Uh, theatrical production, a Spielberg's in the audience. You're never going to get another chance to audition for him. Thinking that it's going to motivate, it actually makes the situation worse. One tip I would tell parents is when they are going to watch their son or daughter in an activity, sit in a place where they can't see you. Because that's one of the things that causes choking, distracting thoughts. What is my mom thinking? What is my dad thinking? Am I doing this right? And all of a sudden, you know, uh, I'm oblivious to what is going on in uh, whether it's on a basketball court or a football field or gymnastics right in front of them because they're preoccupied because they want that acceptance of, of other people. And the high expectations, just want to make one more point. I can have, let's say you're my daughter and you're on the tennis team. I can have the high unrealistic expectation that you are going to win. And in reality, you're lucky you're even on the team. That is okay, as long as when you lose, I give you a big hug. Because then it's like, who cares if you lost? I still love you. What I have found, this was a difference between what we call pressure parents and support parents. What pressure parents do is they have the contract with their kid, like it's a sports contract. You do well, you got these incentives coming, and if you don't perform, you get nothing. And that is the cold parent who... who withholds almost their warmth, their love, because the kid has disappointed them, when in reality, the kid was doing his uh, was doing his best. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer about, yes. okay, so there's a scene where the father's berating his son for losing to somebody of lesser capability, raining out, and the boy looks up, says, Dad, why are you standing so far away from me? And the father realizes what he's doing, says, come here, and gives him a big, a big hug. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I do, too, with parents, I'm like, you know, you're always asking for the best from your kids. I'm like, parents, are you always doing your best in parenting? <laughs> or, I have a feeling you slack, too. We all slack in parenting. But in that moment, we, we're doing our best. But again, for uh, parents, we evaluate your best. And what does it take to move up the percentage, you know, and it's usually self-care, right? We'll add to that. But I always, I always bring it back to the parents yeah, because yeah. they have these expectations that you, you're you talking about that are just crazy, you know. And I mean, how, how many times have, have the two of you heard parents say to their kids, uh, make me proud? Yeah. That's <laughs> that would be like a kid coming home and saying, you know, mom, I have to tell you, all the other mothers are 30 pounds thinner. Make <laughs> start going to the gym. Dad, you're picking me up in a lousy Chevrolet. The other kids are being picked up in BMWs and Mercedes. Make me proud. Work harder. Make more money and so on. But parents do that to their kids um, every single day. Yeah. And the piece about sitting where they can't see you and 
I get into this with the head of the volleyball club that I'm working with, where she says, you know, parents will not only be right where they can see you, but they'll be talking to them the entire time to the point that the coach can't coach them because they're only turn every time the play happens, they go to look to mom or they go to look to dad. And the only voice, you know, we're wired, our human little brains are wired to hear our parents' voices. So that's what they're listening for. So I always say, you know, sit on your hands, zip your lip. If you need to walk outside the gym, but let them play, let them be, you know? You know, when I, I know I've been, my grandkids uh, play, oh, go ahead. I've said, I know a tennis coach went to tennis school in Florida and he won't let parents, one parent in particular within 50 yards of watching his kid practice <laughs> because it's so distracting and he'll start yelling things. That's the problem with Little League in my hometown of Westport, Connecticut. It, it's that it becomes terrible because all the fathers think that they're expert baseball coaches. And, and they ruin it. Well, now they have silent Saturdays where they don't allow the parents to say anything. And when you talk to the five and six and seven and eight-year-olds, what was the best day of the year? They say, silent Saturday, when I didn't have to listen to my parents yelling, right? When I'm in, when I'm in the gym with my grandkids you know and they're playing basketball and it's like enclosed, right? And they're, all these parents are throwing out stuff. I say in a rather loud voice, wow, there sure are a lot of people coaching these kids today. And that's all. And I like back just like, wow, guys, like let the coach coach. Just enjoy the enjoy. You're watching your kid, not. Yeah, that coaching part pressure. And yet so many parents can't because they're, they're competitive in their, you know, in their own right. When, when we lived in L.A., my daughter was in uh, a private school, like most West Side uh, LA people, and there were a lot of entertainment people. And one of the values was cooperation. And it, to me, it was comical as a psychologist because you you have the most competitive, one of the most competitive industries of, with these all these competitive parents, whether they were writers, directors, and so on, and yet they're preaching cooperation. You know, to their kids, and yet the kids are going back into an environment that is extremely comp competitive. Competition does not bring out the best in people. That is a real myth. It brings out the worst in people. I mean, why do if, if kids are so smart, why do they cheat? You know, that is a sense of um, you know competition, and you see that competition in professional sports. If, if if these athletes are so super, then why do they need steroids? Why do they need performance enhancing drugs? Why do they have steel baseball signals, you know, and so on? And that is what, one of the bad factors that competition does. That's why it's so important to compete with yourself rather than with um, other people. At least I think, I think so. So I, um, moving on, I would, we would love for you to speak on your four steps in helping to emphasize that consistent effort and outcomes of check yourself, ask your child, stay child focused and appreciate before you evaluate. I mean, we're kind of covering it, but I, I'd like to kind of hear your. And, and I think that last one, not that these have to be in any type of uh, order, but that last one, because it gets down to like with criticism. One of the things we found is there's a big difference between pressure parents and support parents and how they give criticism. Pressure parents will use criticism to point out a negative, what the person, what the kid did, did wrong. Where support parents use it to be as instructional, but they also appreciate the effort and, and what the, um, 
how their how their son or daughter has performed. I was watching a movie last night, true story. Maybe you've heard of the baseball player Jimmy Pearsall. He played when I was growing up in the movie. Angels. Were they with the uh, Angels? He did play with some with the Angels, but he had his fame with the uh, Red Sox. And what nobody knew is he was bipolar. Mm-hmm. You know, this was back in the 50s. In the movie they made about him with Carl Malden and Tony called Fear Strikes Out. And there was an opening scene where he's teaching his son how to slide into second base. And, and you know, young Jimmy slides. Father says, that's a good slide. And then he says, but you would have been out if it was a low throw and so on. It's like you see that it's so hard for many parents to be able to just give a standalone positive and show appreciation. So that is a very important point. And when I say check yourself, because a lot of this comes out when, when the kid does bad, what's the basic response in the, in the parent? It's not happiness. It's usually a sense of anger or frustration. And if, if you are a parent and you have two of your other friends sitting next to you and your kids are all on the same team, and regardless of what the sport is, if your child has a miscue, that parent feels embarrassed by the, by the two, you know, with the two people next to them. So when they check yourself, it means that you have to be able to manage your emotions even before you approach your, mm-hmm. your, your kid. When, when a teen sees your parent or, or younger, Oh, we lost you. How their kid is forming, kid picks up that anger. That is a very shameful type of feeling, and those are one of the things that makes kids not want to perform in front of their parents. I'm sure you, you've been familiar with. Okay, you got to practice your do your you know, your music instrument, and what most kids say, well, I will as soon as you're out of the room. They don't want to in front of their parent because what is the parent doing? They're all they can't appreciate they're always telling them how they can be uh better there's a time and a place for that timing is very um important but it's usually you know after a kid does poorly in a sport match does the parent really need to remind him of that right five minutes after the uh competition they can talk about it but maybe it's better to do it the next day but the parents own emotions get out of hand so they become impulsive and they have to they have to say it they they just can't reframe themselves so that i've heard from many coaches actually talk oh sorry talking about um covid silver lining being that the parents they because of covid they've had to keep the parents out of the gyms and away from the pitches just for numbers and everything and the kids' stress levels have gone remarkably down to the point that they're totally fine, but with the parents are the ones that are insisting that they be in the gym to watch practice, to watch tryouts, to watch, and then to be able to criticize them on the way home or give them feedback on the way home so that they can help them get better. But leave them alone. Let them go practice. Let them go play by themselves. And I always tell parents, you know, if they're only playing because you're watching, they're playing for the wrong reason. <laughs> they need to be playing because they want to be playing. It's a bonus if you get to come to their game. But if the only reason they play and they I have one parent who 
was standing next to me on the sidelines and he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be recording. And I was like, why? He's like, well, I get in trouble if I don't record. She wants me to record everything. I'm like, well, why is she playing? She's, she should be playing because she wants to have fun while she's playing. It shouldn't be about admiring it after. Yeah, and that is important because I think back, remember, I'm much older than you. <laughs> and when I was growing up, I lived in Great Neck, Long Island, and uh, I was very lucky, affluent community. But the great thing was I had six, there were like five other guys on my block. So that meant football, we had three on three games. We all had big yards. Like one of my friends was the first, his father was a doctor, got him one of the first backboards that was like glass. So that was our basketball court. The, the, my other friend had a great softball backyard. And so we always had sports. And all I remember is that it was fun. It was fun playing. And, and that has sort of changed from now where, where playing sports after school hasn't become, it's moved from fun to being competitive. And maybe this is important to get you into college, you know, and, and so on. And that is why I, I find a lot of great coaches, at least that you see on ESPN, they show the halftime, you know, in the locker room. A lot of them now will say, have fun, because that creates a sense of uh, enthusiasm. And I think that's very important. I think parents have moved to performance, from fun to performance, where to me it should be fun. And some of you are really going to be great, and those are the ones who can take it more uh, <laughs> seriously. My son was an average athlete. I would say to him, Danny, you played great. It was like Saturday basketball, rec league. And he said to me, Dan, I'm not great. I, I play with my friends. And I thought it was such a great statement because it told me he sees himself as he is, not inflated in terms of his athletic skills because I wasn't telling him he was, you know. I mean, I was telling him he played great, but he had perception. Well, this has been amazing. I think we could go on. Well, we've only dove into like two of the 10 chapters, but I wanted to thank you so much for being on. Um, <laughs> The unlike. Can I make one point? I want so, yeah. to think in terms of when we see pressure to remember it's a force. Like it's easier almost if you push down. If you if you push on your shoulder, you'll feel you'll feel pressure. What I have found is that many parents, when it comes to parental pressure, are pushing down on on their kid. And what we want parents to do is to push up, and when, which is harder. Like when I'm in the gym, I'm finding it's easier to pull things towards me when my trainer makes me, you know, push things up. But when a parent can do that with parental pressure, it, it, it like physical pressure, going to gas pressure or water pressure, we transform it. And so the son or daughter now will feel it as not that they have to perform, but they want to perform. And they will feel the pressure as a sense of guidance, uh, support, uh, encouragement, and wisdom. And when a parent can do that, so that that's how their kid experiences pressure, and then that becomes a guaranteed way that my co-author, Dr. Thurber, and I like to say to parents that the force will always be with you. 
<laughs> hence, hence the name of the book, The Unlikely Art of Parental Pressure by Dr. Chris Thurber and Dr. Henry Weisinger. Thank you so much for being on today. This has been truly a wonderful chat. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, we have our final question. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. So how would you complete this sentence? The best parents of athletes I know do this. I would say are um, uh, realistic in their expectations that they are encouraging and are supportive when their athletic child does not perform to their to their best and that they focus on next time. Yes. <laughs> Very good. All right. Thank you, Doc, coming on. Where can our listeners find you and find your book, your best-selling books? Uh, they can find the book on Amazon and they can, if anybody has any individual questions, they can contact me through my website, which is simply hankweisingerphd.com. Fabulous. Bye. All right. Parents, Thank you. If you enjoyed this what episode and no other sports parents who are trying to get better at supporting their teen and figuring out their path, please feel free to rate and share this. What's fun about this new app we're working on, call in. We're going to get more and more people on here. We're going to be able to get actual live questions and get the conversation going even more. Did you want to say something, Susie? Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, I was just saying this has been amazing. I, um, I love all our podcasts and I, this one is, it's so important. I, I, I thank you. Thank you for your book. And I highly suggest everybody, please, especially you parents of athletes right now, read this book because it's fascinating. It's got good, you know, it's got good studies and it's easy. It's an easy read. It's super easy. So yeah. Thank you. I love the role plays. Susie and I love to do role plays. And I think when you role play things out helps give you the words that you're looking for. Or, or the ones you need to leave out <laughs> when you're talking to your kid, right? <laughs>